You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. All right. Welcome back to Dr. Tom, Tommy B, and the Gold-Blooded King Daniel Hardy. We got a special guest today. You may know him as the man behind the Golden Breakdowns for taking over the internet by a storm and helping uh, Warriors fans and basketball, sorry, basketball fans in general learn more about the game we love and learn why we keep blowing teams out the way we do. So um, right now I bring on the legendary Joe Beret. Welcome, Joe. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome aboard, Joe. Thank you for giving me a fair chance at being a guest of this hallowed podcast. <laughs> I, I I promise I won't encroach on your uh, la- audio landing space. So you have, you know, you. Yeah, no, I no need. Foul. I need about ten feet of space. You know, I need a. a that's a lot of space. <laughs> Launch yourself right in line. That's all. <laughs> you know, guys, I'm I'm getting the feeling here that you may have heard some chatter about this uh, second round series between the Golden State Warriors. And the Houston Rockets, um, how far did we come from, what was it? We eliminated the Clippers game six on Friday, right? When was that? <laughs> it seems like years ago. I think it was on Friday. Yeah. Okay, so we, we take them out on Friday. Oh, that's right, because the Houston Rockets were already in the Bay, practicing in our building, eating our food, sleeping in our bed. And, uh, you know, we had to go take care of... Visiting our gentlemen's establishments. Wait, no, that's just James Harden. <laughs> the Gold Club, you know. And uh, we had to take care of business in, in L.A. and come back home. Remember, everyone was like, oh, my God, Steph and Clay hurt their ankles. And, oh, my God, like, we, we played six games and the Rockets got to rest. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then and then uh, we just came in and beat them game one. And then uh, they started crying. We beat them game two. So now that we're up 2-0, can I get some general observations between this uh, this clash of the so-called Titans? Well, uh, I think I think we're gonna sweep them. I, I'm ve- I'm very confident we're gonna sweep them. Like at first, I thought it was gonna go six or maybe seven games, but I don't know. I have this. I've been given this confidence lately that you know, they're not. They won't beat us in their home court. I don't think they know what to do. Seriously, except go go to the league and brandish whatever paper they have. And they're like whatever Daryl Morey's come up with. Like I don't know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe at most they can take one more game off of us. But I'm guessing it's gonna be a sweeper, gentlemen sweep. You you've seen in the past, and this uh, came up on uh, the Wake Up with the Warriors podcast. Ooh. But this notion, yeah, I know a little little uh, cross uh, cross. Wet blog uh, promotion, but um, that the Warriors have won, and I believe this is in the entire Steve Kerr tenure, uh, that they've won at least one road playoff game in every series. Every series? So I, I'm, I think that's the case. Uh, and so there you know that the worst case scenario, if you assume that history and what has happened in the past is some kind of indicator that at the the worst case scenario, they will be coming back to Oracle with a three, one lead. And so I, yeah, yes, I know. I I just said what I said, (laughs) but I think that in terms of the, how the Warriors should be feeling, how Warriors fans should be feeling, it is that confidence that even in the worst case scenario, this really does, they're they're in such a good position because we know this team can go on the road and win it, you know, at least one game as in the entire Steve Kerr tenure. And also you saw it last year. They went to Houston, they won a game seven in Houston last year with most of this same team. So this is a team that knows how to well, win. Wait on a the minute, road. wait a minute, sir. As contractually obligated as we are, we have to recognize that Chris Paul didn't play in that game seven time. 
that that is true, but there was somebody else who uh, didn't play in that game seven, and I think he's having sort of a big impact uh, in this series right now, and I'm not talking about Chris Paul. Uh, who might I be talking about? Probably Andre Iguodala, you know, the, the, the former finals MVP and the secret ingredient in the death lineup, now the Hamptons 5 lineup. And I, I just think it's fascinating that um, when Andre went down last year, a lot of people just poo-pooed it like, oh, you have so many all-stars. Like, who cares about it? Just some old guy. And if you, if you look at the numbers last year, and we at GSOM love sharing the stat that Andre Iguodala held Chris Paul and James Harden to a combined one for 41 shooting in the two and a half games that he played. So, Wait, is, is that good? Um, well, it's not perfect. They didn't make one shot, so we gotta work on that, Andre. Oh, okay. We gotta work on that. Well, but what perfectionist. I, I think what's most fascinating about that is we didn't really take in his his offensive impacts. I mean, right now he's leading everyone in the postseason with dunks. I think he's like what? How many dunks is it? Like, like a million? Like, I don't have the stat with me right now, but he has a lot of dunks. Close, <laughs> close enough. Nineteen. That's that's. Close, 19 close, million, close you know, I have to do it. Almost yeah. a million. Almost a I'll million. I'll do a special odd round, on it later. And, uh, get, get round that numbers. up. <laughs> and um, I remember this year, Chris Paul, uh, the Rockets beat us in a regular season game where Andre Iguodala played. And he was like, oh, I thought Iggy was the X Factor. Ha, ha, ha. And it's like, if you watch the Warriors, you know that the, re- the regular season is um, not something that we value as much as we used to. Because when we did value, you know, for 73 wins, we didn't win a ring and everyone mocked us. So now we're just lazily just slumping our way to number one season, the toughest conference in basketball. And in the light of that, Andre Iguodala isn't going a thousand percent. Because why? But now he's going a thousand percent. And if you look at his stats right now, I just want to r- rattle them off to you because I'm a stats guy, you know. One I, day I'll be on don't say some mine. Especially uh, the advanced stats. Oh, especially. You know, I love the stats. So right now, uh, Andre Iguodala is shooting 75% for the series, um, 43% from three-point range. And in 33 minutes, he's uh, averaging 15 points, four rebounds, three assists, and a block. Now, a guy who can average those versatile numbers across the board, how could you ever have the audacity to put some bass in your voice and say, oh, Iguodala wouldn't have made a difference. But you don't know the game. You don't know the Warriors. And that's why now you must just face the fact that the man who helped create the death lineup is called the death lineup. Oh, sorry, it was. Now it's the Hamptons 5, you know, because we class it up a little bit. But <laughs> death, Hamptons, the same thing. You're not coming out alive. I actually have a matchup data uh, up here. And uh, I looked up all the times Harden when Harden was matched up against him. And in game one, Harden scored nine points against Iguodala on one of seven shooting. Mm. And in game mm. and in game two, he also scored nine points on four of 11 shooting. So if you add that up, averaging the two games, he is averaging nine points per game on uh, five of 18 shooting, which is around 27.7% from the field. That doesn't that doesn't seem terribly uh, efficient. <laughs> oh, I yeah. thought James Harden was unstoppable. They told me James Harden was unstoppable. It looks like every time he sees Iguodala, he's getting stopped. Well, you know, I've heard a lot of things said about Iguodala, and according to my sources, someone said that the way he limited Chris Paul and James Harden to one of forty-one shooting before getting injured in last year's Western Conference Finals, it meant a lot to us Warriors fans. Like, we keep on parroting about how if he wasn't injured, it would have been a different series. Yes. But, according to Rockets fans, it didn't mean much to them. They did it, They shrugged off his impact on the game, and it was worlds away from the impact of them losing Chris Paul. So they're basically saying that Chris Paul being injured meant a lot and had more impact on them losing the game than it did to us reaching game seven because we didn't have Iggy. So what say you guys? Hmm. Oh boy. I mean, I think that that one for 41 number shows you uh, the, of Iguodala when guarding James Harden, the Rockets best player says it all that, you know, if you are mired in very, 
don't know what you call it, conventional thinking, where you think, oh, that the player who's in the most commercials has to be the most important. And thus you think, oh, that's Chris Paul importance because I see him selling me insurance. Uh, that means he's this enormous factor. Yes, I can see how you might think that. But if you are willing to go a little bit beyond the surface and you realize what is so special that Andre Iguodala brings to this particular Warriors team, and especially when playing against this Rockets team and uh, James Harden and what he likes to do, then you realize, yes, his absence would have an outsized effect. And the fact that the Warriors, even without this player who can have such an outsized effect on what happens on the court, that they still won, that should say something, something about perseverance and something about, okay, when the chips are down and you have to turn to your best players to carry you and get you over the hump, uh, that the Warriors are able to do that. Whereas, the Rockets last season with James Harden, he couldn't do that. No, and um, he's not really that kind of guy. But that's okay. Um, it's it's not like all right for everyone who may not be a Warriors fan or is you know that the kind of Warriors fan who prides himself on being so neutral and so not biased. And I would sh- shut your mouth. I'm gonna tell you something right now. You have to understand the Warriors have been through so much as a franchise. The Warriors have been through so much, so much losing. Then when we finally got good, we finally got to join the ranks of the San Antonio Spurs or the Shaq and Kobe Lakers. We assumed that we would be treated with respect and honor. And everyone said we were lucky. Um, uh, they too small, Ernie. And just all these kind of things. They too small, just Ernie. <laughs> it just kind of hurt our feelings a little bit. You know what I mean? I, and, and I want you to know that as a result of that, now we're looking at everybody else with the same narrow focus lens that you guys put on us. And the difference is, the Warriors take all the slander, all the disrespect, all the uh, biased information that goes against them, and they still win no matter what. Your team, on the other hand, gets all the excuses in the world and can't get the W. So can you see how we're upset that, wait, how come you get the excuses, but then you realize something? You either win or you get to have excuses, and that's okay. So now I want to shift it over to uh, some more excuses that we've been hearing about recently um, in terms of how it affected uh, game two versus game one. If you recall, game one was pretty insane on the crying to the referees. In game two, it was officiated differently. How do you think that affected the flow of game two? Uh, I thought I thought game two was officiated pretty well. I didn't even notice the officials were there. I mean, for Pete's sake, Scott Foster was the one assigned to the, to the game. Like, that was a big story before the game. Like, ooh, Scott Foster, like the Rock, Rockets fans have a – big axe to grind against him and also us dubs fans too i mean i think a big a, like people were waiting to see who he was gonna favor like is he gonna go towards the rockets they call stuff for the warriors but amazingly he didn't really he wasn't there he was just in the background i think if there was one ref who kind of showed up it was uh what's that guy's, guy's name ed malloy yeah, yeah ed malloy, malloy. The, the, yeah the guy who um Gave the double tech to Draymond and Nene. But pretty much, besides that, I think I think the refs just were, wasn't, were, in, they were in the background. They did pretty much, they did a good job. And especially Scott Foster. I don't say this much, but Scott Foster, nice job. <laughs> good job, yeah. good effort. Good job, yeah, good effort. But I think you, and you, you still saw that the... I don't know what you call it, the hangover, perhaps uh, appropriate when talking about James Harden, uh, of that game. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Pun intended. Yeah, very pun very much intended. Of that, uh, of game one and the way they approached uh, kind of talking about that loss and um, to your point, the sort of the excuses that were planted in there because the I thought I agreed that I thought the officials were pretty. It was fair. It was called, you know, there it, it was called as correctly as humanly possible. Uh, and I think it, you know, you and like you said, and like Steve Kerr said in the post game, you didn't notice it. But I think you still had the Rockets. They were thinking, well, we're not, we are 
playing the Warriors, but we also are playing or playing with uh, the officials too. And you saw that they they were still so concerned with that in, in probably in probably like the first half of the game. I think in the second half they got to just actually sort of playing basketball. But I think in the first half, you still saw them kind of thinking, okay, how can we get the refs to make these calls for us and do these things? And they were very much kind of fighting on two fronts, to put it that way. And I think that that, you know, that cost them or that sort of created a a weakness that the Warriors could uh, expect exploit because they were just focused on okay this is the team we're playing against this is what we have to do let's go do it and they you know more to the best of their abilities and uh, you know as much as they could they did that they just said okay we're gonna play our game and they and they did it and that's why they went into halftime with the lead and it's why they won the game yeah and i'm glad that they have such a mental fortitude Although I will say I'm a little frustrated that it's just so hard to blow these Houston Rockets out. They are um, amazing at hanging around and swinging haymakers. I mean, the, the first two games I kept thinking, oh, here it comes. Here comes the blowout. Open the floodgates. Splash them to death. And the Rockets somehow claw back each and every time. So that if you realize the last two games, I mean, even though game two was uh, less in doubt, it still came down to the last minute, relatively so, so to speak. And so I'm wondering what it is about these Rockets, and I have to give them a lot of credit here. They're almost unblowoutable. Why do you think that is? I mean, I think that the their reliance on the three pointer is a big is one big reason, and that they so when they make a couple shots more often than not, that means a couple of three pointers, and that can make up a big you know you can cut it into a a lead a little bit more when you're making three pointers as opposed to two point shots. Obviously that's, that's, that's the math and that's the Mori ball. That's what they want to do in some ways. And so there's that. And I also think you have, you know, we, I, I will take ownership of this. I love to get my shots in on James Harden and Chris Paul, uh, but they have some, you know, players, they have players on that team, specifically uh, PJ Tucker, the, the tuck wagon. Oh my God. You did not just go to the one guy who went to the same university as you. Hey, hey, like, that's the guy. Hey, hey. He did not just do hey, that. I mean, respect. respect <laughs> he's, he's earned it. He's a, he's a, he's a tough guy. I got nothing but respect for him, but also here I'll show, I'll be, uh, be fair about this too. Eric Gordon, I think. And you saw this. He's a beast. It, He's a beast. In um in both of these games is that he was the guy who would come up with the the big shots and you'd you know when right. that game was teetering on the brink when you'd think oh this is where the Warriors are going to put the foot down on the gas pedal and leave these guys in the dust it was a lot of times Eric Gordon who would come up with the shot usually the three pointer that would keep allow them to stay within you know a close enough distance and I think that those players and you this is what you saw in last season too I remember in game six and seven that it was it was Gordon who Eric Gordon who was like oh no he's gonna shoot it oh this is gonna you know they're gonna make a run like this is a guy who can come up with the big shot can make a big play uh and I think that having those kinds of guys on the team, whether it's the toughness of P.J. Tucker, uh, that's uh, University of Texas alum, P.J. Tucker, uh, or uh, Eric Gordon, that, that yeah, that makes them a tough team to blow out because those guys are players, real NBA players, and they are going to make it tough on any team that is trying to beat them, beat whatever team they're on. I actually have this uh, article up. Uh, which questioned why the Rockets managed to lose despite hitting 17, 17 threes. Um, when they actually connect on 15 shots from beyond the arc, they have an incredible record of 89 and 23 prior to their game two loss. What? Yeah. So that's, uh, 79 that's po- a crazy record. 79.5% winning percentage or the equivalent of a 65 win season, which they managed to do uh, two regular seasons ago. So basically uh, what comes down to the reason why they lost, despite hitting 17 three-pointers, it's the turnovers. 
they turned the ball over 17 times. And that translated to 24 points off turnovers for the Warriors. So uh, we're used to the Warriors being the ones who who are turning the ball over a lot. And to finally see them flip the script for once on the Rockets, the who who don't really or aren't really a turnover prone team because mostly they use ISO ball. They don't pass the ball around a lot. Yeah, you know, one guy dribbling the air out of the ball. You're right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Well, what I was going to say to your point about the turnovers and that it that it really cost them in that game too is if you look at who had those turnovers, uh, it was Chris or James Harden had six and Chris Paul had uh, four, so that's ten of their turnovers were coming from those two players, and that that's when your two again the players that they feature so prevalently are also the ones that are giving up the ball so much are responsible for 10 turnovers that's gonna make it tough no matter how many three pointers you make um that's gonna make it tough to get a win i mean but the fact that they were able to hang around the way they did despite that many turnovers i mean you have to give credit to the, the i guess the system in a lot of ways because um they've eliminated certain things um the other team have to deal with, like, for for example, they're, like you said before, with the high volume of threes, they're going to make sure that they're going to score points regardless. So it puts like this, it's a, almost like a stalker slasher type feeling on any team that has the lead because you know they're coming, they're coming, they're coming. And they have this, this uh, that great, you know, switching scheme on defense. Now, our defense, on the other hand, seems so in tune to what they're doing. I mean, every time they're trying to get Steph, to you know, guard James Harden, they're bumping and moving and switching and rotating and calling things out so that every player is switching and rotating if need be, so that you know Steph isn't caught under the rim guarding Tucker or Capella. They're switching to like, get that together too. So it's it's fascinating to watch the Warriors know exactly what the Rockets want to do, and so they're just like almost having fun playing like live 4D chess with them at the same time. And then by the time the Rockets get a decent matchup, which is like now like you know James Harden versus Looney. And it's like, wow, huh, I got four seconds on the shot clock. And then all of a sudden it dawns on me, that's why they go for fouls, because they're literally out of options. So now he's just going to spend the next four seconds trying to trick you into touching him and throw the ball in the air. So when I look at it that way, I'm realizing that for the system that they play, you would have to eventually start foul baiting and foul hunting, because if you can only shoot threes, layups, and free throws, there's not much else you can do. Yeah, bailout. Because that's pretty much their offense. It's like if you can't get if you can't get a good matchup, you just try to do something individually. And Harden individually, he tries to bait you. He tries to bait you into uh, doing stupid stuff <laughs> like. But that's not going to work a... on a smart team, though. You said yeah, stupid exactly. stuff. Well, a smart team ain't going to do it. That's why the Warriors are there and the Jazz aren't. So. <laughs> <laughs> Smart. <laughs> I think there might, the, the, there's another reason why the jazz, uh, jazz aren't there and the Warriors are. It's because uh, the Warriors can score actual points. They have an offense. <laughs> but uh, I'm, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm actually yo. That actually got to me. That actually got to me because um, I remember the way that Houston fans were talking about Utah fans, like. Oh, don't bring that net rating crap in here. We're not worried about your defensive rating. We're going to destroy you. And like, I'm like, that's the same exact way Warriors fans look at your team. Like, <laughs> don't think you're going to scare us with, you know, the way you play. But I, I, again, because I, I want them to lose so bad and I keep seeing them whittle it down to single digits in the, in the last, um, you know, seconds or whatever. It's a weird thing to be in the era of the Warriors and be pretty much the only Western team that's challenged them since we liberated Kevin Durant from Oklahoma City. And, the way you got there is this like mad scientist game plan where you just have two guys do everything 
and you know this very very um, peculiar and unique way of playing the game, which ultimately I think is a pretty you know good strategy as far as strategy goes. Like shout out to my man, you know, out from the Bay Area, Jason Kidd. But as far as his coaching strategies go, he had nothing on this. You know what I mean? Like this is pretty high level stuff. But at the same time, when you're facing a, a generational dynasty like you're facing the Warriors pretty good relatively isn't good enough. And so now you're losing every game by like seven points. And it's like, wow, we, we are so good. We can make sure that we can't lose by more than seven points to the Warriors. And all of a sudden people are like, whoa, wait a minute. The Rockets are like really good. And I'm like, well, yeah, they're they're they're, they're good relatively. But when you always lose to the same team over and over again, like maybe we should stop talking about how good you are. And maybe start talking about how great the Warriors are. <laughs> You know, it's it's the epitome of this idea that the you know everyone makes in the NBA everybody makes a run in a game, and I think that you see that a lot when the Warriors are playing the Rockets. It's why you can see oh, like you saw it in Game Two, they were up by fifteen, and yeah, the Rockets cut it to like three points, and uh, that's it's that okay, teams will make shots and they'll be able to cut it into a lead, but. I think, you know, whether it's that, you know, how the that the outcomes still remain the same or that, you know, and this is what I found myself thinking, especially in game two. It just it when you have that feeling that the war, the Warriors never it never felt to me as an observer, admittedly a uh, non objective observer, but that the Warriors never felt it never felt out of control. You thought, oh, the Rockets are making a run. They're they can make this tight, and yeah, they might you know end up winning the game by some circum by fluke or by circumstance or what have you. But you always felt that the sort of the the odds uh, favored the Warriors, or that the you know if you hold everything equal, that, that this would that the Warriors are going to get the win. And I think that that's when you're to what you're talking about when it's okay. Let's not talk about how good or very good this Rockets team is. Let's talk about how great these Warriors are. It's 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 that like yeah they can make it interesting and give a t- this team a fight, but I think that that you never have this feeling that you as you watch it that you say if the Warriors just do what they need to do they're going to win this game, and that's ha- in both of these first two games and it's why. I have a good deal of confidence for them going into the latter stages of this series that if they do what they need to do, if they play their game, if they're able to do, you know, and I'm not even saying like if Steph goes off, Clay goes off or KD goes off in some obscene, remarkable way. But if they just play the game they want to play and the Rockets play the game they want to play, the Warriors win. And, and that's, and that's it. Like that's it. It's no joke that when whenever they say that the only team that can beat the Warriors are the Warriors themselves. I mean, we don't say like people don't say that for no reason. Mm-hmm. It's true. <laughs> right, right, right. That's like right. the only, the only, the only, the only time I will ever truly have my faith waver is if a team manages to beat the Warriors four games in a seven-game series, legitimately at their best. Like the Warriors minimize their mistakes right at least there's at least there are their self-made mistakes if the other team forces mistakes that's fine credit to the other team if that happens then full credit to whoever does that and i don't think houston is the team to do that i think it's one of milwaukee or toronto in the east actually well yeah i think that those two teams that you just mentioned have a system in place that encourages versatility and I think that's not what you're getting from the Rockets here. Um, I mean, if you look at, you know, the perfect marriage of system and talent, the Warriors are that, you know, um, yeah. Steve Kerr's system, the, the the remains of Pastor Mark Jackson's defense. Um, and this uh, the, the, the the talent we have here is, is, is ridiculous. So when you have the marriage there, we're like now, not only is it about being unselfish, but unselfish with a strategy with um, three of the most de- devastating scores of all time, plus a defensive player of the year who leads the team in assists and rebounds and Andre Iguodala, who was an Olympian. And you're like, oh man, like the talent level, the IQ level and the system they're in, you're going to have to beat the unit and not one man. When you look at the Rockets, we're beating James Harden, basically. 
And um, it's 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 a testament to how good he is at the game of basketball that he has the rest of the league terrified about him. Because when I look at him, I'm like, oh, he's good, but we're going to force him to some efficient, inefficient nights, and then we're going to break his team. They don't have the versatility to change their plans. You know, Coach D'Antoni, that's the system. That's the way That's the way they play. So now, okay, well, now you can't play Clint Capella anymore. What are you going to do? How are you going to adjust? Oh, um, Ken Freed, he can't play in the series. Like, how do you – Is it 2013? Why are we talking about <laughs> Kenneth Freed? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, they, they, they can only play one way. And so now that the Warriors have grown – I mean, yeah, they, they took us to the limit last year. But don't they realize that we grew and learned from that experience? And it feels like they didn't, especially Kevin Durant. Now, Tom, you know, as the Kevin Durant whisperer, <laughs> can you please give us some insight as, as to why there were some issues last year with him, um, I believe, in, in the middle games, like three, four, and five, having some issues breaking down that defense, while now it's like he's looking at them and, like, going get, like, Optimus Prime mode on them? Yeah, I think uh, in those games and ba- basically from games three or four, for sort of until the end of the series, you saw that the Rockets were all, their game plan was okay. We're gonna kind of give you Durant uh, on his own, and usually on the on the on the wing, either in the right wing or the left wing, and we're gonna kind of let let you get it to him and let him ISO. And we'll give, we'll usually do a late double, uh, and uh, we'll kind of give you this because we don't think one that either he'll make it enough or that that will hinder that system that will shut down that system that you were talking about. Uh, and that that will kind of stop the warriors from being as good as they can be. And that's what happened for a lot of uh, that, that, series last season it was the matchup you know you you would see it and you'd say oh yeah it's Kevin Durant and he's usually guarded by someone who's a lot smaller who he's a lot taller than yeah give it to him let him go for it but it just it was like a it was like a bait and switch that they were kind of giving it to him but then they come in and it would again this idea of kind of grinding that offense to a halt and I think that now and you've seen this in the first two games whether it's that they're putting Durant in better situations when he has the ball and has the green light. I think you saw that a lot in uh, in game two, real, and especially that it was like, okay, he'd have the ball. It wouldn't be backing down. It'd be, okay, we're going to get it to you as you're sort of cutting in in the, on the, in the mid-range and that, you okay, you have a chance to elevate over whomever you're defending because you're going to be able to elevate above them and take a shot that they can't defend. But also that he's uh, seeing that coming, that those, whether it's those doubles or that defensive pressure, he's seeing it coming and he's doing a better job of passing out of it. You saw it in game two during that run when the Warriors eventually pushed the lead to 15. He had one assist on um, a Clay Thompson three-pointer where he was down kind of in the post, and, but Clay was able to get free and he fired it to him and Clay got the three. And then there was another play. I think it was another Clay Thompson three-pointer. He didn't get the assist, but he had the pass that set up the assist, the hockey assist. And mm-hmm. I think that you're seeing again that to, I, you know, the, the, it's the seeds of, uh, as, Marcus Thompson uh, calls it, you know, point KD that he has this element to him. He's added that like he is really a become a better, whether it's a passer or somebody who can see those lanes a little bit better uh, that he can see them. And that makes it tougher to say, okay, we're going to force you to give the ball to KD and then run these delayed doubles at him. Uh, because he can, he's getting better about seeing where the open man is and finding that open man. And a lot of times, that's Clay Thompson or Steph Curry. And if they're shooting it, that's that's a, they're shooting it while their defender is going to help off of Durant. Like that's a that's a good thing for the Warriors. And just to add to that point, um, there was this one play where the Warriors actually managed to get off a split action and. They got a step three off of that action. Normally, they wouldn't. They had a difficult time last year with getting off any kind of screening action because normally the Rockets would switch that action. It's simple. Just switch switch the screen, and 
you're left with either a Draymond low post isolation or a KD low post isolation. And uh, with this one... One of those is definitely better than the other. Uh, that, right now. One of those is a far better option. Definitely. Depends and, on who you ask. <laughs> well, with this one, uh, I think the Rockets... The Rockets blew a lot of switches in game two. And I think part of that is the personnel. When they say that Trevor Reza isn't there anymore, when Bamute isn't there anymore... The communication that they provided and the the IQ they provided on defense, but that's a pretty big that's a pretty pretty big part that they miss right there. Because if you would who would you rather have Trevor Ariza communicating on switches or an Austin Rivers communicating on switches, right? Whoa, wait, whoa, whoa, wait a minute! Look, that, wait, look, we're already eliminating his entire family from the the playoffs. Okay, which we, we took out his daddy. Now we're going for the son. That is an obvious. That is a question that has an uh, has an obvious answer, <laughs> and and that's why uh, when Austin Rivers gets going in Game Two, and you know it prevents the Warriors from maybe going into halftime with a double digit lead, uh, and you know instead they're going in at just like, like was it seven points or nine points. I say, uh, you know, that's it's frustrating, but also in the long run, I think that having Austin Rivers on the court, especially on defense, and when you're trying to run all those switches, uh, that that's going to end up that you, the Warriors are going to take advantage of that. They're so smart, and they know how to find the kind of weak link and go at it. So you have to think, okay, as long as this player is on the court, they're gonna, they're going to know. Okay, we're going to sort of steer things at this player or what this player prevents them from kind of doing as a team. How funny would it be? How funny would it be if the Rockets lived and died by Austin Rivers in this series? I mean, it feels like they may have to go to that option um, just because the Warriors have clearly planned for every single other thing they can offer. So maybe it's just time to just, you know, let Austin have his dream like he's back in college at Duke and just, you know, do what you want, Austin. Just do what you want. Uh, that's the only thing the Warriors clearly haven't planned for. Um, going back to the, the idea of uh, um, Katie's evolution, it appears like, and again, with uh, Tom being the Katie um, whisperer and Joe obviously being the golden breakdown man, um, Kevin Durant appears to be a focal point in a way that he wasn't in the previous two years where it's not even a thing of like Steph and KD feeling like your turn, my turn in the sweetest, most friendly way possible. But now it's like, Steph's like, no, 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 no. You, you do all the dribbling and let me run around. And it's like, it's like a constant thing now. So where it seems like wherever KD catches the ball, the people orbiting around him are so sure that he'll get them the ball. If they're open, that when he does decide to call his own number, it seems like everyone's like in full agreement. Like that's the perfect move to do that. When do you think um, this really came about? Because, you know, even last year, I felt like we saw glimpses of it, but there were stops and starts like in the Houston series, uh, game one in Cleveland. And even in the uh, the game three domination he had, it was like, you know, Katie just soloing on his guitar for 48 minutes while the rest of the boys just watched around, you know what I mean? But now it feels like there's a real synergy. What, do you th- what would you uh, attribute that to? I mean, I think, you, you know, you see it's the – evolution of uh your the if uh, you know what of hit the i don't know what the word i'm trying to think of the right word here but just so swag you're thinking the, of his, the, his swag the, sw- his the swag, swag has evolved. evolved and well and it's what he came here to acquire and i think you're seeing the fruits of that and you saw it this year uh where he had more games with more assists than he's had in previous seasons he looked more confident as a passer and as a a distributor and as somebody who was making plays happen um, beyond just as <clears throat> as a scorer and as the sort of the the guy who's just getting getting the buckets, but I think you know people. God help us! I'm going to talk about what you know Twitter talks about and what the sort of larger uh, the the larger discourse talks about. But wants to talk about oh how. 
That is not the larger discourse. How dare you? That is but not how, the larger Kevin, discourse. You know, Kevin Durant, but how does he or doesn't he fit into what the Warriors want to do? And I think that you're seeing that he's fit in. He is a part of this team and what they want to do. And he's kind of reached the, I don't want to, you know, not the, he hasn't perfected it. Maybe that's not possible, but he is such a, a part of it. And he can, that he can both be this dominant scorer and give the, a team all of the points they need while also keeping the offense in a rhythm and being able to see, okay, they're throwing this double at me. I'm going to know to pass and I'm going to know how to kind of look for and find the guy who's open. I just think it's that it's that again, like that step in the evol- the evolution of Kevin Durant and that he's, you know, maybe, you know, we all want to talk about or, we don't, but certain people do want to talk about, oh, how is he feeling in Golden State? How, you know, is he, you know, is it, he doesn't look happy here. He doesn't look whatever here. But I think what you see on the court, I think you see someone who is comfortable within the system that's set up. And I think that that's, that's what you're seeing. And you're seeing that in terms of whether it's assist numbers or just making those smart plays to get it to his teammates when they're the, the, when it's the right look, that's what that is. It's that step in the evolution of this player and his adapting and becoming a part of this system that's in place here. Joe, where do you think the Rockets fear KD the most on the floor right now? Well, I think they they really fear him in the low post still on that right on those uh, left to right blocks along the baseline and. Especially whenever whenever they get a switch on either CP3 or Harden on him because um, barbecue, barbecue chicken. chicken. I mean, in game one, it's like when, I remember in game one, uh, KD did that one-legged fadeaway over CP3 like it was nothing. I mean, CP3 is a good defender. He has show he has shown in the past that he's capable of defending KD or at least trying to slow him down. Because uh, the same principle as in the last round against the Clippers with Patrick Beverly, where they uh, they crowd his they crowd his base, and they just put pressure on his lower body and just pray pray that he misses. But you know, <laughs> I mean, it's, that's that's how it is, right? I mean, pray that he misses. <laughs> hey, I'm being really annoying. I hope it bothers him enough that he misses that shot. Yep, that's that. I think that yeah. There's a through that's a line there between uh, Patrick Beverly and Chris Paul. I think I see that there. <laughs> Yo, it's crazy that we have a player that is so good that um that all they can do is pray that he'll miss the shot because you know he's not even our unanimous MVP. That's the crazy part. Like, we have a guy who won the unanimous MVP. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this other guy who's seven foot, yo, he's really scary. It's like, now I'm starting to see why they hate us and fear us so much because what other option would you have but to be a bandwagon fan? You know what? I am opening the gates right now. If you want to join the Golden State Warriors fan base right now, please just comment under this podcast or um, message on Twitter. We will give you an application <laughs> to sign up. Even, um, you know, especially those who are in Houston right now and they're looking for a way out and they're tired of this this this, this, this fraudulent MVP dribbling the air out of the ball and not getting what needs to be done, which is winning. He's not winning. And you want to win. It's okay. Take your Houston Rockets jersey, burn it at the altar of Akeem Olajuwon, say your buys. You're in an abusive relationship with a basketball team. You don't look, trust me, as someone who went through that before as a Golden State Warriors fan, it's so much better <laughs> this way. And you have a, a, like, if Kevin Durant resigns, you have like another four or five years of just terror. Join us. We have a new arena. You can like come for the first time in the new arena and say, I was a fan since the movie San Francisco. Trust me. Um, but Tom. <laughs> The, 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 you know, the, the, these rocket, you know, they're complaining about these calls and all this stuff. And like, you know, this is a franchise, Hakeem Olajuwon, he fast, you know, Ramadan, he was fasting during Ramadan. He didn't complain at all. And like, now they're gonna, they're gonna complain about officials. Like, this is how you, the disrespect you're showing to Hakeem Olajuwon and all of the, the, the clutch city rockets, this is ridiculous. Like you're this team that don't underestimate the heart of a champion. And like, now it's like, don't, 
Rudy Tomjanovich. Like you know, I don't think Rudy Tomjanovich was, you know, sweaty clapping his hands uh, about having to do with fouls and like, oh, they didn't they didn't give him enough landing space. Like, no, like you, you, uh, it, it, it's disrespectful to their legacy. It's that big shot bomb. <laughs> Sam Cassell. Vernon, Vernon, crazy Vernon Maxwell, a uh, Clyde the Glide getting his only ring. Um, like you, 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 you can't. This is you're disrespecting your legacy. Like go out there and <laughs> compete and play. And if it doesn't go your way, you say, "All right, that that's just how it. That's just how it happened." But this, the, you know, that I, it's 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 just. You know, it's just sad. It's just sad. That's the way. That's the way I'm going to put it. Hakeem Olajuwon. I just keep going back to that. Ramadan fasted was not. You know, was not get. You know, other players were not. You know, were getting the nutrition, whatever. And didn't complain. Never. No. Nutrition. No. No problems. And like now, it's oh, so the the official didn't call this marginal call my way. There must be a conspiracy. How how many potential points did uh the did Hakeem's fasting cost him? No, it doesn't matter. Wow. It doesn't matter. All right, I'll stop. I'm done. I'm done. Oh my god. On that note, I want to thank uh, <laughs> I want to thank Tom and Joe uh, for coming in today. Um. Before we get out of here, uh, can you please give me your game three uh, predictions? I will say, since it's since it's at at Houston, I will say it's either a one point victory for the Dubs or a ten point victory for the Rockets. Because I really think that there's there is going to be one game where the Warriors will just let it let the let the crap out of out of their system. They'll have this one game where they won't play as optimal as as they have been for the past two games, and I think Game Three is a prime. It's a it's a prime time for them to let that let all that bad out, and after that, it should be smooth sailing for the rest of the series. And if they manage to win Game Three, I think you know, that's it. It's it's all over. Pack your bags for I don't know for Denver or Portland, and that's pretty much it. No, they, they got to pack their bags and come to Oakland first. <laughs> oh, yeah. Those bags will be waiting yeah. there for them to then go to wherever they're going. <laughs> yeah. I I think that that's the kind of the right approach or the right, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very much of that mind. For some reason, I've been getting very strong uh, 2015 vibes. I don't know what that is, um, but I look back at that that uh, series between the Warriors and the Rockets and that they went into game three in Houston and it was a tough game. It was a close game, but in the end, the Warriors pulled it out. They did end up dropping uh, game four uh, and then they closed it out in five back at Oracle. And there's part of me that thinks it it could kind of be like that, that the Warriors are just there. They look so focused and so determined and that they, they, to use the cliche, the switch has been flipped, and there's no there's no going back from it. Um, um, but I so there's that for that reason, I think that uh, I wouldn't. I'm, I'm going to hedge, if you'll excuse me, that I wouldn't be surprised then if the Warriors take care of business in Game Three, uh, and then maybe let it go, kind of slip up in Game Four. But I also could see. Houston coming back home, your role players uh, play better at home. Maybe this is a game where Harden really gets going uh, and, you know, is able to do all of those, um, you know, things, the fraudulent or not, uh, that make him uh, make him a elite player or a, a marquee player. Um, I could see them, you know, picking up game three and then game four being where the Warriors kind of lock it down and say, okay, that so I hope y'all had fun, but this is this is over now. I hope so. I mean, that'd be great to just wrap them up, throw them out to pasture. Um, I personally feel like this game is going to be um, a comeback special for the Warriors. I feel like they're going to get jumped on the first three quarters. In the fourth quarter, they're going to mount some crazy comeback and just forever etch James Harden and Chris Paul's names in the uh, never going to win a championship Hall of Fame. 
And um, that that's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping that they, they have a, a monster, like, 18-point comeback in the fourth quarter. When they finish it, they're all, like, high-fiving each other. And, like, James Harden has this, like, glassy look in his eyes walking off. Like, wow, how that happened? And the crowd is just stunned. Like, that would really do it for me. I, You know, I thought this after game two where I said I, I had a feeling it was going to be a big Steph game. I wonder if maybe game three is that where it's just it's just it's like, you know, the the ultimate example of that was that regular season game in Oklahoma City. But where it's just like this guy has gone to that place. And again, we talk about the Well, you just got to pray he doesn't miss Curry. Curry can be like that, too. And so I wonder if one of those games isn't on the horizon. And given that he is. It hasn't been as certainly as bad as some uh, some people have said. Again, especially on that uh, cesspool that is Twitter, um, but that you know Curry could be due for one of those special transcendent games, and if he could give it to him in Game Three and kind of render, you know, again, kind of say, "All right, this is this is how it's going to be. This is this is what's happening." Uh, that mm-hmm. I. I, that's not like I, I, the way I'd put it is I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. I agree. I agree. And against the Clippers, he had it early in game one, 38 yeah. points. And, and he, I think he has a big one coming eventually this series. He has to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just the, it's the probability. Like he's, he, you know, he's been good. He's been steady. He's been giving them, you know, kind of what they need, but you're always just like, okay, there's going to be that curry explosion coming at some point. And it's been long enough to where it's like, okay, no, it's, it's, it's getting to be time and I could see it happening and it could very well be. It's beginning to be time. <laughs> Steph, why haven't you dropped 40 again? <laughs> oh, we're so spoiled. We're so spoiled. <laughs> All right. Well, um, we here at a uh, spoiled state of mind. <laughs> Sorry, golden state of mind. We're going to, um, Drop this one off right here. Thank you all for listening. Um, this is Daniel Hardy, the Gold Blooded King, signing off for Dr. Tom, Tommy B, and Joe Veray of the Golden Breakdown. All right, folks. Well, uh, hey, take care and uh, go Dubs.